will start when it's touched. Havlicek touches it. It begins. Three seconds. Hondo off the go. He's got it in second. John Havlicek won it. It's Pierce. Is this the dagger? Johnson gets it into Bird. Wilkins is there. Bird comes free. Good afternoon, Celtics fans, and welcome to Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. I'm your host for today, Rich Conti, and I'll be joined in a moment by my co-host, Andre Snellings, and we've got a great show for you today. Of course, it was a bit of a mixed bag for the Celtics this week. Um, Andre, welcome to the show. I'm always happy to be here. Thanks. Yeah, as I mentioned, it was kind of a mixed bag for the Celtics this week. They uh, ran off a little two-game win streak, uh, culminating with a uh, nice win over the Pistons, and then they dropped a couple of uh, tough ones in the middle of the week. They were competitive against the Pacers, and then really, really struggled against the Knicks on Wednesday night. Uh, What did you think of this past week? Yeah, I mean, I think now the the Celtics team has definitely settled into who we thought they would be. And so, I mean, you mentioned them hanging tough against the Pacers, but then struggling against the Knicks. Might that have something to do with the fact that Rajon Rondo played in one game and not the other? You know, it's it's at this point, we kind of know who the Celtics are. Um, we know their personality. We know their talent level. And so, you know, it, it's good to see that they're still playing hard. I think that's the most important thing um, as we get to the end of this year one of the rebuild. Yeah, they've stayed pretty consistently competitive. And I think that's really the most that the Celtics fans can ask. And things don't get any easier as they go out on the road on Sunday at New Orleans. And who better to talk to than old friend David Wesley, currently serving as the Pelicans color commentator for Fort Spock's Fox Sports New Orleans. He'll be one of our guests today, along with SportingNews.com's Sean Devaney. Yep, I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking to both of them. Um, Wesley is, is somebody that, that I enjoyed uh, uh, watching while he was playing. And then every time I read some of Devaney's stuff, I always learn something. So it uh, should be some good talks. Well, let's get right to it. Celtics are in New Orleans tomorrow to face Anthony Davis and the Pelicans, and here on Celtic Speed on CLNS Radio, we're fortunate to have Pelicans and Fox Sports New Orleans color commentator and former Celtic David Wesley as our guest. Welcome to the show, David. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be on the show. Well, before the season began, some folks in the media expected the Pelicans to be fighting for a playoff spot in the Western Conference. Hasn't quite worked out that way, but is there still the sense in New Orleans that they're building towards something positive there? Well, I, I think if you if you recognize the talent and and the and the players that this team has, there's no question that this team could be fighting for a playoff spot. And if they stayed healthy all year, uh, even as young as they are, I think uh, they would we, they would definitely be relevant come into the season, whether they were in or out or you know two or three games back. Uh, you know, they'd be right there with um, you know Phoenix in that ninth spot trying to trying to get in. Uh, very talented team. Um, and they have their major guys are out. You know, last night, or yeah, it was last night against Memphis, two of their two more guys were out. You know, so a lot of firepower missing, and they almost came out with a win. Yeah, the Western Conference has been incredibly tough this season. Is the feeling that the Pelicans are simply the victim of a tough conference, or has there been a stronger sense of disappointment about not living up to expectations? Um, I, I think both. 
I, I think being in a strong conference, you have to have your firepower. This team has to be healthy, and guys have to be playing well. You take away uh, top three best shooters in the league and Ryan Anderson off the floor, uh, and then you take away Jason Smith, and then you take away Drew Holiday, all-star. You lose a lot of firepower. And then last night, Tyreek Evans and Eric Gordon didn't play. And this team has just been riddled with injuries all year, like a lot of teams. And uh, they suffered because of it. And then, of course, you throw them in the Western Conference. Man, each and every night, you know, you run up against just tough, tough competition. Uh, The the Pelicans have a decent record against the East. And if they were playing in the East, perhaps things might be different. Okay, uh, David, this is Andre. So so piggybacking on that, um, uh-huh. outside of the injuries, um, what would you say is missing from this Pelican team? What what do they need to go to the next level from fighting for a playoff spot to being a legitimate contender? Um, there's some young talent. Are they just missing a veteran presence or two, or do they need more? I say that about a lot of teams. I think the veteran presence is missing in a lot of, you know, uh, the teams that are good have that veteran presence minus – uh, well, you know, you, you say the Thunder, but they've been around and doing it a while, so they do have some of that presence. And if you don't have a, a, a voice on a team in the locker room that will step up and say that people look at and say, he's been there, done that, uh, he goes out every night, plays hard, gets it done, and, and, and we listen to him. That, it's just it's tough. But for the Pelicans, I think they're missing a go-to guy. Um, Anthony Davis has not developed yet, but he will, uh, a go-to move and then a counter to that move. He's not used to, uh, fighting for post position. Uh, he gives it up rather easily. And then late in games, he's had some success and he's already had some failures where he might, he might've turned the ball over or took a bad shot or a tough shot. And, uh, I think the more the the more comfortable he gets making those plays, whether it's passing out of a double team or making a play and kicking to somebody or finishing, getting to the free throw line, those things. I think this team is going to struggle because down the end of games, and and Drew Holiday did a a great job of that while he was there, but it's Anthony's team. And Anthony is going to have to be the guy to finish, uh, and he could use a small forward. So those two things I think would get him over the hump. Yeah, and of course, Davis is one of the bright and upcoming uh, stars in the NBA. He made a huge leap between his rookie and sophomore seasons already. He's averaging just about 10 rebounds a game and leading the league with nearly three block shots a game. If you were the GM of a new expansion franchise and could pick from any player in the league to start the team with, where do you think rank uh, Davis ranks on that list, along with guys like LeBron and, and Kevin Durant? Wow. Um, I, I think you, you can't. I don't think you would go wrong with Anthony Davis being uh, that next choice. If you if you take Durant and, and LeBron, either put them one two or take them completely off the board and say who would you go with next? I think I would put him in the top three guys of guys I would start with. I get to watch him every night, and every night we're comparing him uh, to you know to the Howards and Shaquilles and and things that haven't been done in twenty years. Uh, the other night he had uh, thirty. Two seventeen and six, and it's the youngest player to do that in tw- ever in the league. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the, 
every night he's putting up numbers and they don't feature him. You know, a big man that's not featured, uh, they may run, and this is, this is, this is the way I see it. They may run five plays for him. The rest of that is effort in energy and athletic ability and him knowing how to play. Uh, um, down the stretch of the Memphis game, I, I, it blew my mind that they weren't throwing him the basketball and saying, go get us a basket. Um, and the more he grows and the more he understands and works on those kind of things, they will get that out of him. So um, I'm actually going to follow up a little bit on Anthony Davis um, because my favorite all-time player is Kevin Garnett, and I see a lot of that in Anthony Davis. So my question to you, I'm a – I'm what you would call an NBA nerd, I guess. I'm, I'm really heavy into the uh, advanced stats. And so <laughs> despite, you know, Davis is killing it on the glass, he's, he's um, killing it with the block shots, but thus far he hasn't had the impact on the team defense that I think he eventually will. So my question to you is, um, A, do you think that that's fair, a fair statement to make? And B, if so, do you think it's just, a matter of him learning uh, the defensive rotations or, or maybe not not jumping as much on shots? Or, or do you think maybe he's been focusing more on, on his offense early in his career and the defense will come? Well, I, 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 think, I think it's a good observation first, and, um, and I think he will get that. I think he's, he's for a young player, and, and this is kind of one of my – uh, complaints. The young players they come out and they don't understand rotations. They don't understand, uh, you know, to pick a different option or use your options or play the game uh, on offense where you know you don't always have to be like a robot. I mean, if you see something open, you know, take that. So, um, but I think that his instincts are good, and uh, you know, you're only as good as a as a big man. You can't block everything, and you can't block. Uh, block shots that are direct line drives. If a guy gets a direct line drive, you're in trouble. So the more in tune, and this team hasn't been a good defensive team this year, so the more in tune you get your perimeter guys, so at least they're making angle drives, and you can come over and help. And, and this team has struggled on defense because it doesn't understand rotations all the time. They do miss assignments. Pick and roll has been very hurtful for the Pelicans this year, and, and uh, you know, a lot of times what they try to do is put Anthony Davis in that pick and roll so that he's not around the basket because he blocks shots so well. Um, so I think he will eventually uh, be that dominant force, but as long as you can take him out of the play by putting him in a pick and roll, it's going to be a little more difficult for him to get his block shots and, and uh, control the middle like he does. Now, he's pretty early in his rookie contract still, but is there any concern down in New Orleans that he'll take the route that some of the other younger stars have taken in recent years and look to move to a more marquee franchise? Well, like all the uh, guys that have come before him, he is saying all the right things. He likes New Orleans. He likes the fans. Uh, but every player that has that opportunity, the last people that usually talk to him, is another player and it's hard to turn down greener pastures even for less money especially you know if you've made you know you've been in the league five six years you've made you know some nice money to go somewhere for a little less with a chance to win 
winning makes everything better. Winning makes your food taste better. So, <laughs> I mean, go somewhere to win. I, I hope he doesn't because, like Tim Duncan in a smaller market, uh, stuck around, played there his whole career, uh, along with Tony Parker. Those guys made that place or, or you know, made it a championship or continued their championship ways when they showed up. So it's it's nice to see the smaller markets relevant. It's you know I, I, for that I wish and only for that I wish LeBron might have stayed in Cleveland and found a way to win a championship there. He may have never won a championship there, so he left. And and kudos to him. He goes and gets two. Um, but it would be nice for somebody to say, you know what, I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna make this uh, a winning championship team and and. I just, you just never know. I think he likes it here. I think he wants to be here and I hope he stays. Yeah, that, that always makes it a, a really nice story. Um, so, so yeah, I would wish that for him as well. So how would you compare where the Pelicans are as a team right now and what they're doing versus where the Celtics are and, and what they're trying to accomplish? Uh, well, I think, I think the Pelicans are looking at their roster and saying, we have some pieces starting with Anthony Davis, who's he's a good he's a good kid. I mean, not just talented on the court, uh, says all the right things, does all the right things, um, treats people with respect around him. Uh, you don't you don't hear bad things about him from his teammates or from anybody. So um, they see him through Holiday, Tyreek Evans, Derek Gordon, like Ryan Anderson, those that group of guys can you know you can start adding some pieces and trying to build from there. Where's the Celtics? Rajon Rondo, when when all those guys left, it's his team. And, and I I listened to your podcast about Rondo, and and I've heard that the talk that his his arrogance is what made him who he is. But it, but it also it. It's almost tearing down this team because he wants to do things his way, not for the team, but for Rondo. And um, and then the the rest of the pieces around him, uh, you know, will they be there next year? Do they want him there? Um, you know, and, and those are the kind of questions that that will, will come up this summer. Danny Ainge has a lot of work to do, and uh, he seems to figure it out. I, I hope he figures it out quick. <laughs> Now, earlier you talked about the importance of a veteran presence, especially to a young team that's building. With all the talk about tanking the season, why is it that you think fans and in some cases the media overlook the importance of having those veterans around to help shape the building process and help those younger guys understand what it means to be a professional and a competitor? Well, and you would think that that would be the case where they would want veterans around, uh, especially because the, the player seems to get younger and younger uh, each and every year, uh, you know, this, this one and done, uh, group that's even coming out in this next draft. Um, you know, uh, and I, and I talked some, uh, about when I played, you know, I came in four years and I sat and watched, which most players did three, four years come out, sit and watch, unless you were just, you know, just way better than, than everybody else. And even some of the superstars didn't have to come in and go right away. Nowadays, you're drafted one through ten, you're on the court. Bring us a win, and it's just not going to happen. So why wouldn't you have 
some veterans around, and then you're coming in as a threat, uh, freshman out of college, and your whole team are basically still in college as far as years go. And, and that's the way the league is. I think it's watered down the, the, the product so much that you, you can't expect to be good until four or five years later, and then all these guys that you've just spent all your time and money on are going somewhere else. Now you just got them ready for the league, which college would have done had, you know, I think that should change some. The, the draft thing, the, the, uh, the age limit or, you know, it's killing college basketball because everybody's one and done and it's killing the league because everybody's coming in and they don't really know the game. That That's a very interesting point. Um, and based on that, uh, I, I kind of feel like I know what you're going to say here, but I have to ask, um, what were your feelings about the the Hornets trading Nerlens Noel uh, or the pick that became uh, Nerlens Noel um, instead of maybe bringing him in to try to grow along with uh, Anthony Davis? Um, from from what you're saying, I don't know. Do you think that was the right decision? I absolutely loved it. See, if I was a GM, I'd get fired first year out because <laughs> I wouldn't want any of my picks. I you know what? I I love the draft. If I'm not number one. I want to go and trade my picks and get a veteran. I want to uh, trade players to get guys that have proven themselves in the league. I mean, Nerlens Noel, he may be a superstar. He may not. If we, if, if the Pelicans kept Nerlens Noel now, well, he's spending his his next year in college hurt. So he's not even helping you this year. And so then you get a a guy who's proven, I can go out and score, I can run a team, insert him, you know, after Gravis Vasquez left, and you you got a a bona fide guy leading your charge. And then you got Anthony Davis. So your pieces are falling into place. As soon as they they did it, you could see my face just change completely. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Now, that's a heck of a move. And if I was a GM, I would have made that move. And like I said, I'd probably be fired after my first year. <laughs> that's what I've said. Tanking, if, if a GM can get an owner to buy into it, it's the ultimate in job security, right? You got no expectations for three years. So so I like the, the, the folks that want to go after it. Now, you were in a situation in Boston where you had established yourself as one of those solid veteran contributors and presences. And yet when Patino came aboard, he let you as well as another veteran, Rick Fox, go. And at the time, the Celtics were building with young players like Anton Walker, Chauncey Billups, and Ron Mercer. And none of those guys panned out, at least in Boston, do you think that lack of veteran leadership had an impact on those how those guys developed? Um, you know, I think so. And you know, Chauncey came in young, and and he was, you know, right in Mercer, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, my last year in Boston that summer, I worked out for Patino, and he tried to run my tongue off, but my, you know, my way of doing things was always to be in shape. So. He could have ran me till the next day, and I, I would have still been right there talking about what's next. Um, but it was it was interesting after uh, after we, after I left that situation, you know, I go come back into Boston, and all the guys would be would say to me, "Man, just be thankful you're not here." <laughs> and I don't think anybody enjoyed playing for Patino. So, in essence, he did me a favor by sending me on my way. And at that time, I, I really wanted to stay in Boston. And uh, when I 
negotiated my deal in Charlotte, my mentality was I want years. So it came back. It was like a four-year deal, X amount of dollars. And I told my agent, I said, listen, go back and get me some more years. I, I didn't say anything about money. I didn't say anything about dollar amount per year. I said, go back and get me some more years because I want to play for 10 years. And he came back with seven, which would have made 11. And, and another thing, as I told him, I said, and, and, and this is because I had heard it. I heard guys doing it. I said, hey, give me an opt-out. So my opt-out was after, uh, after the fourth season. And I did it kind of as funny just because I didn't want my, my contract to be boring. <laughs> and then four years later, everybody's talking about, are you going to re-sign? Are you going to re-sign? I'm saying, what do you mean? I completely forgot about it. Never <laughs> thought about it. It was just for giggles for me. And ended up giving me two more years because – you know, I had to, I signed an extension. So um, that was, like, fun for me. The, the whole, you know, uh, and, and I didn't even talk to any other teams. Charlotte called July 1st at 12.01 at, like, 6 o'clock that same day I was on a plane to Charlotte. That's that great. Quick. That's what's up. So, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm listening to your voice as you're talking about it. Thinking back to that time, were you surprised that Patino uh, decided to, to let you go? And, um, you know, I, I hear you talking about the importance of security. Um, ha- had you maybe hoped to be a Celtic for life, or, or was that something that was on your mind? Yeah, I, I thought it would have been, I, I been an awesome thing. You know, I, I talked to my agent, and, uh, you know, when we got that first offer from Charlotte, uh, he said, do you want me to take this offer uh, to Boston and see if they want to do something with it? And I said, yeah. I said, you know, I mean, I, I like it here. You know, I, I, I want to be here in Boston if, if, if they want me. And when he took it back to Patino, I don't even think Patino thought about it. I mean, it was kind of no really quick. And I said, well, let's go. Um, and, and yes, I, I, uh, the security was, was big to me. I, I felt like I was very fortunate and blessed to even be in the NBA. I remember signing my, my rookie deal with Jersey and, um, you know, it was a long time and I think there was maybe a lockout, uh, talk going on. And I kept thinking that the league would fold before my first game and I would never play in the NBA. So, um, the more, and then when I signed my deal with Charlotte, I mean, with, with Boston, same thing. You know, I was thinking, you know what? You're going to be in here four years. And, and my contract was, you know, 150 the first year. And then the three-year deal I signed with Boston made me a million dollars. I was like, man, you're going to make a million dollars in four years. You're, you're on your way. I, I'm, I'm feeling like, man, I'm the luckiest guy around. And then I worked my way up to, now signing a deal with, with with Charlotte, and I'm saying, man, I can if I can get this to ten, I could be in the league for ten years, and that that's yeah, my my security and and me being in the league was 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 way more important than the than the money I was uh, going to make, and it was a great living, great made great money, but um, I just wanted to play. No, you know what? You were talking about tanking, and I didn't really get into tanking. Can I? Sure. Can, I can I have absolutely. Uh, because I, I listened to to to, uh, to Brent Barry, 
and he was talking about his Chicago days and the guys that didn't play on the team the next year, uh, the year they were tanking in, in Chicago. The year that, that I played, my last year there, and I heard ML Carr come out and talk about we were tanking back then. And we had, you remember names like Frank Burkowski, Stacey King, Alton Lister? Those were the guys that were on the team that year. And that was their last year. Alton Lister played a couple more years in 97, 98. But Alton Lister, he, they were older guys that were pretty much on their way out. And then we had Michael Hawkins, who played with the Hornets and Cavs, but didn't really play. Nate Driggers, Junior Burroughs, Steve Hamer, Brett Zabo, all their last years. And, and Nate, Nate Driggers started a game. Michael Hawkins started some games. Junior Burroughs started some games. And Brett, and Brett Zabo and, and Steve Hamer played some significant minutes in games. And that's what we were going to war with. And, of course, there was Eric Williams, Antoine Walker, Rick Fox, Purvis, Todd, D. Brown. But that was the squad. And those guys, a lot of those guys were hurt, the ones I just named. So, good times. Yeah, it kind of sounds like the uh, Philadelphia 76ers roster right now, but... Yeah, yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I just want to jump in real quick. You were talking about tanking. Um, I, I just went to the Sloan Conference at MIT um, a couple weeks ago, and um, I was actually shocked because Brian Colangelo flat out admitted that when he was running the Raptors, um, he tried to tank for a season. And um, I, I, I used to, as I said, I, I was a big Garnett fan, so I watched Minnesota. So I remember the games when, if it was close late, they would let Mark Madsen start shooting three-pointers, you know, so... Right. It, it, it's obvious that it happens. As a veteran, as a former player, how do you feel about that? Well, I, you know what? I hate it. You know, because it, and, and now it's more of talk than it was uh, that year when I was in, in, in Boston. Uh, because each and every night I thought we were trying to go out there and win. I couldn't understand why I'm having an awesome quarter, why I'm sitting the whole next quarter. Um, and it never even occurred to me. So, if you're a competitor, you're always trying to go out there and win. And if a coach is, I mean, if a coach is good, he'll make you feel like we tried, we came up short. And I, and I think that's the way they're all kind of selling it. Because once you tell a player that you're tanking, I mean, if a player ever thinks he's actually tanking, how do you go to work? How do you keep their attention? What about next year? You're telling me I got the year off right now? You're paying me you know, anywhere from a you know, million to $10 million, and I don't have to come to work? I think it's very dangerous. And somebody mentioned taking away the lottery, giving everybody equal chance. I bet you that would change tanking. Yeah, Adam Silver's talked about wanting to, you know, do something about it. You know, clearly uh, overt tanking is a problem and, you know, it's something the league uh, intends to look into. So, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully this season will be an anomaly and we won't see too much of it in in the future. But uh, yeah, the fans deserve better. Exactly. Yep. Well, great. Thanks for joining us on the show, David. Listeners can enjoy your work on the Pelican broadcast on Fox Sports New Orleans, and they can follow you on Twitter at SRDavidWesley4. Thanks again, David. Thanks a lot, guys. You guys have a good one. You too. All right, you too. 
Well, it was great having former Celtic David Wesley on as a guest. That was a, a treat, as I mentioned during the interview. I remember fondly going to the uh, Fleet Center back in the mid-90s when I lived uh, close to the building, being able to pick up tickets on the cheap to get to see some of those uh, struggling Celtics teams. Uh, but uh, it was interesting, some of his takes on uh, a tanking there, kind of having lived through it firsthand. Yeah, no doubt. I, I loved hearing his take on it. Um, my my memories of Wesley are a little bit different than yours because obviously I'm not from Boston. So I remember him more on the Hornets. And I always liked he was just such a professional. You know, he was a, someone who was about my size, who was able to compete against the big boys just because he worked so hard. So I always admired that about him. And knowing that about him, it makes sense that he just was not on board at all with, with the tanking thing. And um I thought it was interesting when he was talking about his years in Boston and how many of those guys, it was their last years in the league. And he didn't explicitly say it, but I kind of felt like the underlying message to that was, so how dare we tank in what's going to be their last memory of the NBA? You know, that, that you owe it to the veterans as well as the fans to, to play as hard as you can every night. Yeah, that was kind of the rogues gallery of uh, Celtics history there with some of those <laughs> names like Nate Driggers and Brett Zabo and Steve Hamer. I think I had forgotten about Hamer, so that was a nice reminder. And yeah, that was a really interesting perspective, of course, coming from a guy like Wesley, who, you know, as you said, was one of those steady veterans. And, and it was really interesting to hear him talk about the value of guys like that, especially to a young building team and just the example they set and the tone they set. And, you know, some of his comments really struck me because they really closely aligned with uh, the guest we had on a couple months ago, Antonio Harvey, the color commentator for the Portland Trailblazers, came right out and said that basically if you tank a season, well, then you pretty much have to cast off all of the players that made up that team because you've basically tainted them and, and they're not going to win in that, that environment no matter what else you do because of just the, the negative culture that you've created. So it was kind of interesting to hear how the, you know, two former players, their perspectives, you know, were, were very, very similar there. Definitely. And and one thing that struck me that, that uh, David was saying was how happy he was with the Nerlens Noel trade last year. Because coming from the outside, I it makes more sense, you know, with his points about veterans. But, you know, Drew Holiday is barely a veteran. You know, he's a really young guy himself. And, you know, from the outside, I kind of wondered if, the you know if they gave up too much if the pelicans gave up too much because you know they gave up uh nerlens duel and another first rounder um for holiday and, and so you know it was interesting that from the inside and as a former player this close to the situation he was doing uh backflips and high fives uh, really celebrating that move um and, and so yeah I, I hope it works out for him yeah i got a kick out of his comments about being fired if he was a gm but, <laughs> but as i mentioned it it does kind of align with some of the things i've been saying recently that hey if you're a gm and you're just starting out and you can get an owner bought into the idea of tanking why not? It's it's the ultimate in job security. I think Bill Simmons uh, kind of alluded to the same thing in a piece uh, recently that, you know, you've got at least a year or two of the teardown phase, you know, where there's no expectations. You've got another year or two at least of the, hey, we're adding assets phase. And then you've got another year or so of, you know, we, we just need time to gel or we just need that that, that veteran piece. And, and heck, if you throw a coach or two under the bus, <laughs> you can maybe even stretch that grace period out to six or seven years so it was kind of interesting to hear hear Wesley's perspective on that and of course always great to talk to an, an ex-NBA player 
Definitely, definitely. And, um, you know, you were mentioning the, the whole tanking phenomenon. Um, you know, I, I got to hear from Adam Silver's mouth recently at the MIT Sloan Conference. I, I got to hear him talking about tanking and the lottery. And um, Malcolm Gladwell was the one interviewing him and he was grilling him. So he really got to got him to admit, you know, that um, that, that the system was broke and and admit it publicly. So then the question becomes, you know, how do you fix it so that tanking isn't such a, a, a positive sounding option to so many teams? Exactly. We're lucky to have a bonus guest this week on CLNS Radio Celtics Beat, Sporting News' NBA beat writer, Sean Devaney. Welcome to Celtics Beat, Sean. Well, thanks for having me. Great. Hey, if you had to guess, how do you think Danny Ainge, Wick Grousebeck, and the rest of the Celtics organization are feeling about the way this season has unfolded? Success, failure, a step back, or a step in the right direction? Uh, you know, I think they, uh, if they had come in uh, uh, hoping to rebuild and get themselves in position to rebuild, and they can't be too disappointed with the way things have gone. Um, I think they would have liked to have gotten something else done at the trading deadline, uh, whether it's add a pick, add a young guy, something like that. Uh, but, you know, if you look around the league, nobody got anything done at the trading <laughs> deadline, really. So you really can't, uh, uh, can't fault them too much for that. So, other than that, I think that this has come along uh, pretty much uh, as they hoped. Uh, Brad Stevens has shown uh, uh, the ability, at least, to uh, uh, to bring along some of the young guys, and 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 we've seen progress from guys like Jared Sollinger uh, and, and and ups and downs from Kelly Olynyk, but but certainly the potential is there. So you know, all in all, I think that this has to be uh, what they had in mind when they traded Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett uh, on draft night uh, last year. So uh, with that in mind, what do you think happens this offseason for the Celtics? Um, is it simply going to be all about the two draft picks, or do you see them making a move via trade or free agency? What would be your priorities? Well, you know, I, I, I think that they've got to stick with the plan, and the plan all along has been, uh, you know, be patient. Um, obviously, you don't turn down a move if it, if it presents itself, if you have the opportunity uh, to trade for Kevin Love. Uh, then, and then maybe go ahead and do that. But you know, for the most part, uh, the, the 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 real turnaround is expected to be in 2015. That's when you get the cap space available. That's when Rondo becomes a free agent. You can you you can bring him back uh, and add another piece. Uh, uh, again, it could be a guy like Kevin Love. Uh, it could be another big guy like a DeAndre Jordan, a Marcus Saul. Uh, Tyson Chandler, there'll be a whole bunch of uh, uh, very good centers out there on the market uh, in 2015. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of options uh, uh, there for the Celtics. But I think this year uh, is what you would call a bridge year, you know, where you expect to get better uh, and, and, and you're not going to be happy if you win 25 games, uh, you know, which, which is not the worst thing in the world this year. But next year, I think you expect to take a step forward. Uh, but, uh, but, but you're still looking at 2015 as, as that offseason where you can really turn things around uh, and, uh, and, and make yourself a competitor again. Now, you mentioned Kevin Love, and there's been a lot of talk lately about him potentially hitting the market this offseason. Do you think that'll happen? And if it does, do you think the Celtics have what it takes to be players? Yeah, you know, I mean, they're, they're getting at a point now, if you're the Timberwolves, where uh, you're really concerned about whether you can keep the guy. Uh, and he won't be a free agent until the summer 2015. 
Um, you know, there's there's been sort of back channel uh, uh, negotiations as far as uh, you know where he wants to be, and 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 L.A. is where he grew up, and and and, and where he would like to go back to. Uh, uh, certainly, the Lakers uh, would welcome him back. So that that would be probably uh, the most likely scenario. Uh, but look, I mean, you know, he he's going to go where he gets a chance to win, and he'll be happy there. So if you have a chance to make a trade for him. Uh, then I think uh, absolutely you have to take that chance. And I think Minnesota, you know, really has to step back and look at its options. Um, you know, the new the, the general manager there is, is Flip Saunders, and, and he's in his first year. So he could afford to trade Kevin, Kevin Love and he, not necessarily alienate everybody by doing so. Uh, you know, when they dealt uh, Kevin Garnett, that was not a popular move at all in Minnesota. Uh, but I think at this point, you know, being a team that really hasn't made the playoffs with Kevin Love on the roster, the, the Timberwolves are in a position where they can trade. Uh, they can trade Kevin Love now. Flip Saunders can afford to trade him. It's not going to cost him his job. So, you know, that's that's certainly something that that that, that leans you in the position of, uh, uh, you know, hey, look, they they, they might literally, uh, they might, uh, uh, you know, actually be looking to trade Kevin Garnett rather than it just being something out there on the rumor mill. <laughs> the Freudian slip. <laughs> the, the Freudian slip there with um yeah. <laughs> with uh you talking about you mentioned Kevin Garnett instead of uh Kevin Love. Yeah. Um <laughs> but um question. So if history repeats himself and uh Kevin Love uh were to make his way to Boston the way that Kevin Garnett did and, and he came and paired with Rajon Rondo, do you think that twosome is a strong enough twosome? to build a similar championship? Well, you know, I, I, I think they would still need uh, a, a good defensive-minded shot-blocking center. Um, you know, that's that's really going to be something that they're going to need. Uh, they don't really have that on the roster. The one guy that, that could do it is Joel Anthony, but, you know, he's so limited offensively and really is on the downside of his career. He's not somebody uh, who, who could fill that role for him. But, you know, a guy like an Omir Osic, for instance, uh, you know, you know that kind of player – uh, would be ideal next to Kevin Love. And, of course, when you've got a guy like Rajon Rondo running the point, that's really going to, uh, you know, allow them to – you can just see it, you know, where if you've got a guy who can be a center who rebounds and, and, and blocks shots, you're going to create those opportunities, get the ball to Rondo on the outlet pass, and, and you've got a guy like Kevin Love who can run the fast break with you, uh, you know, whether you still have Jeff Green or, or whoever else is on the wing, um, you know, you're, you're going to have a pretty good, pretty good lineup there. Certainly in the Eastern Conference, that would be a, a very competitive team. Now, of course, they would need more pieces. Uh, but again, you know, I, when you look at their roster, a guy like Jared Sullinger, uh, a guy like Avery Bradley, a guy like Olenek, I mean, these are, these are pieces that, uh, uh, that, that would be very good role players on a good team. Now, they're not guys that you want to carry a team. If, if they're your best players, uh, you're going to struggle. But as far as role players go, uh, with, with star players like Rondo, like, like Kevin Love, now, now you're talking a, you know, a pretty good roster. But, uh, but, you know, the Celtics, obviously, uh, they're still going to need that, that main piece, and that's what they're going to be looking for. Yeah, you talk about Rondo, and of course his contract runs out after next season. Um, you know, do you think it's likely he he sticks in Boston? Is his future here, or is his future somewhere else? Well, you know, I mean, they're, they're always going to be open to a trade, and that's why 
his name comes up, you know, it'll come up again in in uh, in June around draft night. I can guarantee that. But uh, um, and, you know, they're they're always going to be open. They're always going to listen. Uh, but you know, they, they don't want to trade Rajon Rondo. You trade Rajon Rondo, you need to get another star player back uh, because if you want to sign somebody in 2015, you know, who's going to come here and sign? When you don't have another another guy here, you know if 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 uh, if Olenek is your best player, no one's going to really <laughs> be beating down the door to sign as a free agent. So uh, you know, especially if you can have a pass point, uh, a pass first point guard like Rondo, guys like playing with a guy like that. So uh, you know, I, I really don't. You know, a lot of the rumors that that have come up regarding Rajon Rondo uh, have just been baseless. I mean, they've come from other teams or other agents and things like that. Uh, as far as I know. And, you know, don't, talking to people who, who know Rondo pretty well, he wants to finish the job in Boston. He wants to be here. Uh, you know, he looks at this as, as, as a real challenge. Uh, you know, he kind of came in as, as that fourth guy behind the big three. Well, he wants to be one. Of, he wants to be the big guy now. He wants to be part of the big, uh, you know, of whatever the next big three in Boston is. Uh, and, and, and because of that, I do think that, that, that he sticks around. Uh, now, th- that's going to come down to whether the Celtics get a trade offer that that knocks their socks off and they wind up dealing him but they're not out there trying to trade him you know so it, it would have to be a deal that somebody would bring to them uh they're not trying to trade him and he doesn't want to go uh so because of that I, you know i do think that he'll stick around and i do think he'll sign a long-term deal uh in the summer 2015 okay well uh Pivoting a little bit from the Celtics to our arch enemies, um, you recently broke a story that the Los Angeles Lakers uh, may be ready to part ways with coach Mike D'Antoni after the season and that uh, Kobe Bryant um, may be the motivating factor behind the decision. So um, let me ask you, who is coaching the Lakers next year? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the great question is, is who does it become? Um, you know, I do think that they need a guy uh, who can be more of a player's coach. Uh, you know, from what I understand, what's gone on in L.A., uh, you know, Mike D'Antoni's been tough to get along with. You know, I, I, I think he's been a little prickly because uh, uh, he knows he's on a short leash, you know, and, and, and so I think that in dealing with players, he hasn't always been uh, as, as, as easygoing uh, as he was back when he was in Phoenix when everybody loved playing for him. Uh, you know, it's been a different story in L.A., so, uh, you know, I think that they need to consider that and they need a guy in there. Uh, you, know, you know, I've heard Steve Kerr as a possibility, and, and you know, that, that, that would be the kind of guy who makes sense, you know, a guy who uh, obviously is a smart uh, basketball man, but also, you know, very much understands what it's like to, uh, to be a player. You know, if you have uh, a guy like a, uh, a Nate McMillan, uh, would would be somebody that would come to mind. I don't think his style of play that he showed in in, in uh, Portland at least would be quite would really fit what uh, what the Lakers want to do. But uh, uh, but you know that kind of guy, a guy who who has been a player and 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 who has fit. Uh, you're always going to have Byron Scott come up, you know, because uh, he does have a good relationship with Kobe Bryant and of course uh, his history with the Lakers. Uh, but you know it, it is very much uh, uh, an undetermined uh, uh, future there as far as Lakers coaching goes uh you know they, they could very very well surprise I mean the two the two, two guys that Jim Buss has hired Mike Brown and and then Mike D'Antoni when they fired Mike Brown uh, have been shocking I mean you know neither one of those guys were were expected and so you know you don't know what to expect next uh from from whatever Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak are going to do uh like, like I said I do expect them to go more of the uh uh the players coach 
uh, kind of route because, like I say, things just 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 really got sour uh, with Mike D'Antoni. Uh, and 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 again, like you said, I I can't see him coming back. Uh, from all the things I've heard, Kobe does not want him back, uh, and that really does carry some weight. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, one of the the names you mentioned was Steve Kerr, and um, of course, outside of being just you know an NBA player with with championship experience. He also has experience being around probably the closest personality analog to to Kobe Bryant uh, at this stage of his career and Michael Jordan at a similar stage in his career. Um, do you think that would uh, give him some some extra insight as to how to handle what could be a potential minefield in, in Los Angeles? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a, a personally popular guy who, who does know how to handle uh, and, and has played with and been around a lot of different personalities. Uh, you know, you mentioned Michael Jordan, but don't forget, you know, you had Scottie Pippen was a tricky personality to deal with, and then Dennis Rodman, uh, and that's just with the Bulls. I mean, he's also with, uh, you know, a team like uh, San Antonio with Greg Popovich and, and Tim Duncan, a completely different set of personality. So, you know, Steve Kerr has really been around uh, a variety of different guys and, and does have uh, a lot of respect around the league. He's also been mentioned as a possible uh, uh, coach uh, with the Knicks uh, now that Phil Jackson is in charge there. So, um, you know, he, he is a guy who uh, uh, is expected to be uh, very much on the coaching uh, rumor mill in the, in the coming months. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's certainly – I think when you are hiring a coach to coach Kobe Bryant's last two seasons, then you better make sure you get a guy that, that, that Kobe's going to like playing for. I think that that's, uh, that's something that uh, uh, for Jim Buss and, and Mitch Kupchak, they've got to make sure Kobe Bryant – is on board with their next coach, which really they did not do uh, when they hired Mike Brown, and they did not do it uh, again when they hired Mike D'Antoni. That's something that's got to change. Now, Sean, you mentioned uh, Steve Kerr and Phil Jackson, and it looks like Phil Jackson to the Knicks is getting closer and closer to potentially being a done deal. There's been a lot of smoke over the past few years there, but did you ever think it would really materialize? And if it does come to pass, how do you see it playing out? Yeah, you know, I, every, everything I hear is that it, it's on track, that there's a lot of details that need to be worked out as far as, uh, you know, the power structure and, and, and the basics, uh, you know, where, where Phil Jackson's going to live, you know, is he going to be in New York? How much will he be able to be in LA? Uh, you know, those sorts of things. What is, what his specific duties are? How much is he going to do day to day? Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, this is, this is something that, um, you know, to be honest with you, when you go and you and you and you have done the things that the Knicks have done over the course of their recent history, uh, there's a lot of uh, desperation there. You know, whether it's hiring Mike D'Antoni, whether it's hiring uh, Larry Brown, uh, the contracts that they paid those guys, uh, the whole Isaiah Thomas mess. Uh, you, you know, when you when you look back, it's it's sort of one desperate move after the other. And I have no idea if Phil Jackson's going to be a good personnel man. I you know he he's never done it before. You know he's he's always been a coach and and really hasn't gotten even when he was coaching didn't get that involved with the the day to day personnel types type thing. So, um, you know, it's, it is hard to see, you know, how that's going to play out, but I do think that you can put it into the context of, like I say, uh, what the Knicks have done in recent years, uh, they've really just been a desperate franchise. And this seems like another desperate move. It might wind up going well. Uh, but you know, I mean, you're, you're hiring, uh, uh, really an unproven guy, 
for what? And you know, you don't know what you're you don't know what you're getting. And you're probably going to pay him a ton of money. Uh, and you know, you know what what is the immediate on court benefit of having Phil Jackson, uh, you know, sitting in the front office? I just I just don't see that as being something that's going to immediately change your franchise. So um, you know, it, it is something that 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 does give them uh, a positive headline, I suppose. But uh, it, again, it just seems to me that this is the act as we've seen over and over and over again, of a desperate franchise. Interesting. So it's been an interesting uh, three to four weeks in the NBA um, with obviously all of the, the the Kobe and Phil Jackson news, but just on the court itself. And so about a month ago, it looked like Indiana, Oklahoma City, and of course Miami were the best bets for an NBA Finals matchup. But all three of those teams have hit a bump in the road more recently, and some of the other fringe contenders have started to make a case that they may be more than just dark horses. So how do you see the balance of the season playing out, and what do you expect in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I, I would still say that uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the favorites in both conferences haven't really changed, even those, like you say, those teams have hit uh, some road bumps lately. Uh, I think it's still Indiana and Miami in, in the east, and it's still San Antonio, Oklahoma City uh, in the west. But certainly, you know, there are some teams that that, that have emerged as, as potential uh, contenders. Um, you know, the Clippers, you really have to love what they've done, uh, not just lately on this nine-game winning streak, but uh, really the way, and, and, and people in Boston know this, that, that Doc Rivers uh, has sort of spaced out this season. Uh, one thing he always did in Boston, especially when he had uh, the older teams as, as, as those guys got older, uh, was, you know, de-emphasize the early part of the year, get them playing well in March and April. Uh, and sure enough, that's what, that's what the Clippers are doing. So, uh, you know, that's typical of Doc Rivers, and, and, and we're really seeing that with the Clippers now, uh, them playing their best basketball at the right time. Uh, so they're certainly a dangerous team, and I think the Rockets, I mean, you always have to consider them. I don't know that they have enough uh, offense inside that, that, that they can really be considered a, a, a contender, you know, because I think besides Dwight Howard dunking, you don't really get a lot of post play <laughs> out of that team. So, you know, that's, that's, that's something that, uh, you know, with the Rockets, I'm not sure how much of a legitimate contender they are, but I would say that the Clippers, I think you definitely have to count them. Uh, you know, I, and I'm still afraid of Brooklyn in the, in the Eastern conference. Uh, you know, they, they beat Miami now three times this year. Uh, they present a very tough matchup for the Heat. Uh, I think that's a team that, that uh, uh, if I'm Indiana or Miami, I don't want to play them because it's probably going to be a six-game series. It's going to be a tough series. It's not going to be an easy out. Well, listeners, you can find Sean's work online at sportingnews.com. Highly encourage you to go over there and check out that Kobe Bryant, Mike D'Antoni article. And you can follow Sean on Twitter at Sean Devaney. Well, thanks for joining us, Sean. It was a pleasure. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It was great having you, and you just got a new follower. <laughs> well, two guests in one show. What a bonus. That was great. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. And two good guests, which is even better. Yeah, uh, Devin is definitely plugged in uh, in their circles. And kind of on that note, it was really interesting hearing him talk about Rondo and his future in Boston and, and really kind of came right out and dismissed a lot of the rumors as being originated from other GMs and, and, and agents really looking to, to try and create some leverage, I'd guess. And, you know, he seemed to feel really strongly that Rondo is part of the plan. And you can never say never, of course, right? Somebody might bold in 
Danny Ainge over with, with an offer that he can't refuse. But it seems pretty clearly right now that that Rondo is part of the plan. You know, they're building around him and plan to use him as part of the lure to bring in a either a free agent or you know trade for a guy and get him to agree to an extension. Uh, kind of built on the notion of you know, hey, with a solid point guard around me and maybe another piece or two, we 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 might be a contender. Yeah, I agree with Sean entirely. Um, because you know, we as we've mentioned in some of our shows through the year, I, I think the final turning point for me it had building been building in that direction, but the final point was when they named Rondo the captain. Like they didn't have to do that. There were there was no impetus to do that. And being the captain for the Celtics is such a significant thing that I couldn't imagine them giving him the C only to quickly, you know, boot him out the door. Um and, and just reading kind of the tea leaves. It seems that Rondo, I think, the the very strength that, you know, Wesley was talking about is potential arrogance, but but the very strength of mind that Rondo has, I, I think it really resonates with the 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 Boston brass and, and, and those that have been longtime Celtics. You know, we just saw that article from Larry Bird who now obviously he's with the Pacers now, but he was gushing about Rondo and just how wonderful he thinks he is as a player and the way that he plays the game and the way he's able to make players better with his decisions on the court. And I just feel like, yeah, Rondo is, is he, he's, he's a Celtic. And, and I, think, I think that the ownership and, and front office feels that way too. So yeah, I believe he'll be here for a while. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I've been kind of saying the same thing all along. So, you know, I, I think we're on the same page on that one. And, of course, uh, with Devaney, we talked a lot about the NBA in general. So are you ready to go around the NBA in five? Let's do it. All right. Knicks fans planning to protest at Madison Square Garden on March 19th against Indy. <laughs> well, um, the Knicks have had a lot. The Knicks fans have had a lot to to be upset about this year. And um, so, honestly, I can't say that I blame them. I'm surprised that they're this riled up. I thought by now they would have uh, been immune to the uh, James Dolan follies, if you will, and would have, you know, kind of folded up camp. But uh, nope, they're they're, they're planning on staging a protest, so more power to them. Yeah, I mean the Knicks. You know, they 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 feel that they are still one of the historical franchises, and you know, I wouldn't wish Dolan on anyone. So, so yeah, I, I'm right there with you, New York. Speaking of wishing do, wishing uh, uh, Dolan on people, Phil Jackson to the Knicks, good idea or no? Whew, I mean, I think they have to try it. If if you have a chance to get Phil Jackson, and what do you want to bet? People are just whispering in his ear 24 hours. Please coach us next year, please. But um, but yeah, I mean. They're in a situation, they're trying to make a splash. They couldn't do it with wins. They're probably not going to be able to do it with players brought in. So if they want to make the case that, hey, Melo, you should stay here, um, why not try to make a splash with uh, the most successful coach in NBA history? Completely agree. You know, um, you know, it, it, the, the Knicks have to do something, right? But uh, I'm actually more surprised that Phil Jackson is willing to jump into that situation, not only because of the Dolan factor, but because looking at his employment history, if you look at his resume, it seems like he only wants to take the jobs where somebody else has already done all the heavy lifting and all the hard work, and he can come in and just kind of take credit for all the success. And that's clearly not the position the Knicks are in. Right. That's an excellent point. Makes you wonder if Phil knows something that uh, we don't, you know, so uh, we'll have to see it play out. There you go. Hey, Kobe not interested in playing for Mike D'Antoni uh, next season. 
Yeah, that was a huge kind of reversal. Because remember, D'Antoni was was kind of a Kobe guy. I mean, obviously, Phil Jackson was his coach. But, I mean, D'Antoni, you know, the whole Italy factor, grew up with, with him as one of his heroes. So, um, you know, for, for Kobe to publicly, you know, make it, so make his case so strongly um it was very interesting to see seemed to come completely out of left field for me it almost kind of felt like kobe was sitting there you know not uh, getting any run not getting any attention you know out with the injury and decided he needed to make some news and what better way than than driving a but not only throwing mike d'antoni over the bus <laughs> driving the bus over him and backing up several times so you know yeah. i guess that's pretty much the death knell for mr pringles in la and as we talked about with mr devaney be interesting to see who uh, is the successor in line and we talk about the james dolan follies in la i mean in new york what about the gym bus follies in, in in LA. Exactly, coast to coast, and uh, now they'll each have uh, one half of the Phil Jackson genie bus love, you know. So, so uh, maybe they can Voltron up and, and, and form one successful team. There you go. Recent losses by Indiana, Miami, and OKC. Is the balance of power shifting in the NBA? I don't. I think I agree with Devin. I don't really buy that, that the power is shifting. I do buy that the Clippers and the Rockets. Um, well, you know, I, I think that they are uh, teams that could contribute to, to you know, that, that Western Conference just amazing Final Four potential. But um, I don't think that the teams that were in front are, are, are really uh, going down. I think it's a long season. They've locked up top seeds, and right now they're just ready for the playoffs. Yeah, Indiana worries me. I'm a, a big fan, and you know, with the Celtics down this year, uh, I'd love to see them represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals this year. Give us a little bit of break from the Miami Heat all the time on ESPN. But I'm starting to worry about that defense, and I'm starting to worry about Paul George's shooting. He seems to have really struggled over the last 20 games to find his touch, and that defense just seems to get more and more porous. Uh, Miami's Miami. You know, they're going to at least uh, be able to turn it on, whether that's enough, uh, especially with Dwayne Wade's uh, advancing age and, and infirmity and Chris Bosh uh, game drifting further and further outside. OKC's the enigma to me. That team looked so difficult, uh, was so tough uh, for quite a stretch there while Westbrook was out. And now that he's back, uh, they're another team that their defense has just become incredibly poor. So I worry a, bit, a little bit about them, of course, with, with San Antonio looming out there. And just, you know, come playoff time, they're going to be executing at, uh, at the highest level. And the Clippers, as uh, Sean Devaney mentioned, uh, Doc Rivers seems to have got the team peaked in the right time and uh, they look like you know they can give OKC a run for their money so it'll be interesting to see who makes it to the finals you mentioned Houston and the Clippers buy or sell I'm buying on both of them um you know I, I think that Houston with their combination of inside and outside and and, and offensive uh, uh firepower I think they could beat anybody in the West. And, and the Clippers, I think they're the more balanced team, which probably makes them the more dangerous playoff team. Um, but, yeah, I, I really feel like the, the West is a lot more murky than the East. Like, the East, honestly, I've never really bought on Indiana, even when they were number one for so long. I think the East is clearly Miami's to lose. And, um, honestly, I don't even know if Indiana would be their biggest competition. I kind of feel like Brooklyn might be. But in the West... With Houston, the Clippers, OKC, San Antonio, I really feel like any of those four teams 
could could come out on any given day. It's almost like a game of rock, paper, scissors. Like one will beat the other, then but the other will beat the other, you know, and, and just who's left standing at the end, um, I, I think is must-see must TV this spring. Well, all right. Thank you, Andre. That's around the NBA in five or a little bit more than five. And that's <laughs> going to do it uh, for today's uh, Celtics beat. Um, Thanks again for a great show, Andre. And uh, music for Celtics Beat was provided by Carlos Andres Mesa, Astra Vex, and Steph Legrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio and Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guests, David Wesley and Sean Devaney, this week. For our executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, the inimitable Andre Snellings. I'm Rich Conti. See you next Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.